Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. Do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 9 and 10. When we read verses like this one, we realize we just don't know God, do we? We humanize him and then get miffed and disheartened and impatient when he doesn't behave the way we expect him to. We have our own solutions for how the world's problems should be solved, beginning with our own family disputes. We pray for one solution, ours, the best one, of course, and someone else is praying for their solution. How can God answer both sets of prayers? A friend and I had this very same discussion about putting positive thoughts out there to rid the world of negativity, and we tried to define positive thought. What is positive for me may be negative for another. So how do we reach a tipping of the scale in the favor of our positive? We didn't have an answer. What does God do? Remember, he is imminent, always with us, and all the omnis too. So he does answer our prayers, always. Sometimes by a change in attitude or behavior, sometimes with a tangible miracle. We don't fully understand, but he, as creator, has the whole picture. A thousand years is like a day. This tells us there is no such thing as time as we know it for God. So during this last week in the season of Advent, let's pray that we may may draw closer to this awesome God who knows no time and be ready when he comes again, both now as we commemorate his birth at Christmas and in the future for the day of the Lord. Do not be afraid, for it's all good news. Good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNinney. My guest today is Omar Abdurrahman, the final homeschool graduate in my series. He and my husband go back a few years, and his mother was my first guest ever. So I'm sure you'll enjoy listening to Omar's memories and reflections about homeschooling and the impact it had on his life. I'm also going to chat about not so much Christmas shopping as Christmas looking, having our daughter home after being on our own for several weeks, and to lighten the load, I found a few amusing and clever Christmas readings. Find yourself a comfortable couch, put your feet up, take a bite of brioche and a sip from your delicious hot chocolate. That's what I have today. I'm ready for some cold weather and fun, so listen up for an hour as I natter on across the sea. We went shopping for a Christmas gift idea to Portobello Road yesterday, and it was so cold I convinced my blue-eyed cowboy to buy a woolly hat to cover his ears. He won't buy a deer stalker or a flat cap or a homburg, claiming they look like old men's hats, so he's been going bareheaded. I had my earmuffs on, so I was all right. The one he bought was hand-knitted in Nepal. It resembles a paycock flat on top. So far, he's taken it everywhere with him, safely tucked in his backpack. He pulls it out to marvel at the workmanship. I wonder how they made this, he questions aloud, examining the intricate knitting. 
with needles and wool, I hazard. The design is quite clever with its flat top, which sets it apart from the common or garden beanies. We didn't buy anything else, but came away with some good ideas. Always the way when we're asked to part with money. Christmas is like that, isn't it? I find it difficult to come up with ideas for the members of my family and friends at a particular time of year, when really I prefer to buy a gift and give it as I see it. Some years ago, I discovered an essay by C.S. Lewis that just about sums up in a satirical way the meaning of Christmas in our secular world. From God in the Dark, Essays on Theology and Ethics, it first appeared in December 1957, 54 years ago. I hope you enjoy it. It's called What Christmas Means to Me. Three things go by the name of Christmas. One is a religious festival. This is important and obligatory for Christians, but as it can be of no interest to anyone else, I shall naturally say no more about it here. The second, it has complex historical connections with the first, but we needn't go into them, is a popular holiday, an occasion for merrymaking and hospitality. If it were my business too, have a view on this, I would say that I much approve of merrymaking, but what I approve of much more is everybody minding his own business. I see no reason why I should volunteer views as to how other people should spend their own money in their own leisure among their own friends. It's highly probable that they want my advice on such matters as little as I want theirs. But the third thing, called Christmas, is unfortunately everybody's business. I mean, of course, the commercial racket. The interchange of presents was a very small ingredient in the older English festivity. Mr. Pickwick took a cod with him to Dingley Dell. The reformed Scrooge ordered a turkey for his clerk. Lovers sent love gifts. Toys and fruit were given to children. But the idea that not only all friends, but even all acquaintances should give one another presents, or at least send one another cards, is quite modern and has been forced upon us by the shopkeepers. Neither of these circumstances is in itself a reason for condemning it. I condemn it on the following grounds. 1. It gives, on the whole, much more pain than pleasure. You have only to stay over Christmas with a family who seriously try to keep it, in its third or commercial aspect, in order to see that the thing is a nightmare. Long before December the 25th, everyone is worn out. Physically worn out by weeks of daily struggle in overcrowded shops, mentally worn out by the effort to remember all the right recipients and to think out suitable gifts for them. They are in no trim for merrymaking, much less if they should want to, to take part in a religious act. They look far more as if there had been a long illness in the house. Two, most of it is involuntary. The modern rule is that anyone can force you to give him a present by sending you a quite unprovoked present of his own. It's almost a blackmail. Who's not heard the wail of despair and indeed of resentment when at the last moment, just as everyone hoped that the nuisance was over for one more year, the unwanted gift from Mrs. Busy, whom we hardly remember, flops unwelcomed through the letterbox and back to the dreadful shops one of us has to go. Three, things are given as presents which no mortal ever bought for himself. Gaudy and useless gadgets, novelties, because no one was ever fool enough to make their like before. Have we really no better use for materials and for human skill and time than to spend them on all this rubbish? For the nuisance, for after all, during the racket, we still have all our ordinary and necessary shopping to do, and the racket trebles the labour of it. 
We're told that the whole dreary business must go on because it's good for trade. It is, in fact, merely one annual symptom of that lunatic condition of our country, and indeed of the world, in which everyone lives by persuading everyone else to buy things. I don't know the way out, but can it really be my duty to buy and receive masses of junk every winter just to help the shopkeepers? If the worst comes to the worst, I'd sooner give the money for nothing and write it off as a charity. For nothing? Why, better for nothing than for a nuisance. What would C.S. Lewis think of the commercialism of Christmas today? I love that side of him. A true curmudgeon. <laughs> Malia just got home. I was out for a walk, and when I returned, there was a note on the front door that told me where to look for the key. I never take a key with me, preferring to ring the doorbell and disturb Hubs, maybe wake him up from a nap. He'd gone to meet her at Victoria Station since he travels for free. What a lovely dad. I'd made a batch of chocolate chip cookies from a recipe I sent to my mother years ago. It had none of my markups on it, so I followed it to a T and ended up making 86 cookies. There were two pounds of chocolate in it, and they don't sell chocolate chips here, so I had to take the huge bars of Cadbury's and use the chopper whopper to cut the cubes into small bits. What a labour of love that was. And now the flat smells heavenly. I love cooking, but I did something even more enjoyable yesterday. I persuaded my blue-eyed cowboy to move furniture with me. Now my living room looks more comfortable and not so much like a waiting room. We've lost our large yoga space in the middle, though, but I have already sussed out the hallway, which is as big as a small spare room and has ample space for, for two mats and no windows for noisy neighbours to peer through. We've yet to try it out, though. As I mentioned in my introduction, this is the final show in my series on graduated homeschoolers. I've spoken to Jenny Hodgman from Australia, who told us how her unstructured schooling experience gave her the courage to go where her dream took her and the surprising results of that journey. Next, I talked to Laura Ellis, marketing writer for Sunlight Curriculum, currently residing in Oxford here on these fair shores. Laura spoke eloquently about how homeschooling assisted her in thriving at college, where she enjoyed a mature and fruitful relationship with her professors. Guesting with Laura was Joshua Williams, a fellow Brit spending his second year at Aberdeen University in Bologna, northern Italy, where he's studying abroad with a program called Erasmus for three terms, which is a year. His goal is to teach primary-age children from underprivileged families. Joshua told us that the homeschooling experience drew him into a close relationship with all his family. Then I spoke to Jonathan and Linnea Lewis, who compared the different approaches they took to higher education and the job market after graduating from homeschool. Linnea attended, attained her BA using a correspondence course, costing a fraction of the tuition she would have incurred at traditional college. Jonathan started a homeschool magazine called Homeschool Enrichment Magazine, for which he's the editor. Finally, I talked to aspiring homeschool graduates, Callum Rowe and Zoe Cottrell-Bentley, who talked about exploring options for their futures through interning, volunteering and part-time work while taking their high school courses. They were an absolute delight to have as guests, and I'm sure they will be successful in whatever they choose to do once they leave their families and branch out on their own. I know our conversations so far have encouraged many of you listening in with worries about compromising your children's future by not sending them to, to traditional school, to relax in the affirmation from these young graduates that what you are doing is best for your children and there is help out there if you need it. 
To date, all of my guests have been shining examples of the independence and self-knowledge that can develop naturally when homeschoolers are encouraged to work out their own futures with support from their families. And it's time for me to go on a short break. And when I return, I'll be talking to my final homeschool graduate who has spent the last 30 years of his life traveling on the road with some pretty impressive names in the music and entertainment industry. Omar Abdurrahman formed his own production company in 1994 and manages and produces events, concert tours, corporate shows and tours, TV and film. His childhood was extraordinary and what he did with his education will cast out all those doubts about deprivation and lost opportunities some parents feel when they're having a bad homeschool day. Replenish your cuppa and prepare to join me and Omar in just a moment. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. It's time to get your boots on with the Boot Campaign with hosts Megan Roth and Bailey Gray, Thursdays at noon, 1 central on Toginet.com, sponsored by Austin Bank. The whole point of the Boot Campaign is to continue the true grassroots initiative developed by a group of patriotic women known as the Boot Girls. Inspired by the true story of Marcus Luttrell, the lone survivor, the Boot Girls got started with celebrities but want every American to get your boots on by purchasing a pair of the Give Back Combat Boots. The campaign's motto is simple. When they come back, we give back. For more on the Boot Campaign, go to the website, bootcampaign.com. The Boot Campaign Get Your Boots On Show will feature discussions on current events impacting the lives of active duty and retired military, interviews with our nation's war heroes, medical professionals, and celebrities who have put their boots on. Do your part and join us for The Boot Campaign Get Your Boots On Show with Megan Roth and Baby Gray, Thursdays at noon, 1 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. My guest, Omar Abdurrahman, is with me from L.A. Thanks so much, Omar, for joining me today. You're a very busy man, and I know it's first thing in the morning for you. It's the middle of the afternoon for me. In fact, it's dark outside. So, Omar, welcome. Well, thank you very much. Uh, glad to be speaking to you, Vivian. All right. So um, you're really busy, and as I said, you're in L.A. So can you tell us a little bit about what you're up to at the moment? Well, I just got back. I was in four. I was four weeks over in all over Japan with uh, the rock group Aerosmith doing a concert tour over there. Mm-hmm. All right. So that sounds um, as though it was very simple for you. But I'm sure all of my listeners are going, "What did he just say?" <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I wasn't on stage singing or playing the guitar with them. What my job is called is the production manager, mm-hmm. and I'm the uh, technical uh, figurehead, if you will, the guy in charge of the sound and the lights and the the road crew and the trucks and the video screens and all of that. Mm-hmm. So we traveled over in uh, Japan with about 50, 55 people, mm-hmm. and we had a Japanese crew of about 40 people and we played a bunch of different uh, stadiums and arenas all over Japan uh, with Aerosmith and it was uh, you know quite a successful tour and uh, we had a pretty good time. 
Well, good. So without you, they would not be able to be on stage doing their stuff, right? Oh, well, <laughs> I'd like to think that, but... Uh... <laughs> no, it certainly sounds like that. So, I mean, well, sounds... that's very nice of you to say. But yes, there's. it takes a lot of people to, to, to pull off a rock show. Obviously, you have to have the band. They're the, those are the guys playing the songs and, uh, you know, making the, doing the entertaining. But yeah, we have all kinds of crew. We have, you know, lighting guys and sound guys and, uh, you know, uh, video cameramen and, and riggers and carpenters and all that. So it takes a whole crew to put on a show, and I'm the guy in charge of that crew. Right. Well, we are going to talk a little bit more about that in the second half of our interview. But for now, um, you are part of my series of graduated homeschoolers. So, Omar, I would like you to tell us a little bit about your homeschooling experience. Go back to your childhood a little bit. I'm sure you have vivid memories because it was quite, um, what, an extraordinary childhood, I would say. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what you remember about homeschooling and what you did as a child? Certainly. I, I guess mine is a bit of a different story. I went, I grew up, uh, in, uh, Dallas, outside of Dallas, Texas, Southeast Dallas, actually. And I went to public school for the first, second, and third grade. At the, uh, what happened is my family was in show business. And my mother was an aerialist and she did the flying trapeze. And my father was an acrobat. Uh, you know, did, did the, tumbling and trampoline and all that type of stuff and we traveled on many uh, touring shows Ringling Brothers Circus uh, Ice Capades, Holiday on Ice and State Fairs and County Fairs and all kinds of stuff like that and uh, as time went by even though we were always traveling from the time I was literally born we always were at home in Texas you know, for, for a good portion uh, of the year. And then like a, around about the time the, of the third grade, we started to travel even more. And there we just weren't at home enough to get in the whole school year at home. So my parents, uh, you know, uh, saw the situation and said, well, we're going to be traveling so much that, that there's not enough time for – I have an older brother and a younger sister – that uh, that, we, that they said, well, we're going to have to, you know, go to a homeschooling type of thing, you know, so these kids get, get an education. So at that time, there were some other um, fellow performers and their kids were taking uh, Calvert School. I, Calvert School, I believe, is, is, is the name of the, the course. And, and my mom enrolled all three kids, you know, my brother and sister and I in, in Calvert. And, uh, you know, we started and uh, she was our teacher and uh, that was the, the basic start of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, 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 it was a scenario basically uh, from necessity than, than, than anything else, not by choice. If, I think if we would have not been on the road so much, it, it, we would have just stayed in public school and, and, and gone about our education that way. But because we traveled and it was so, so different, our, there was never any set schedule. Sometimes we were on, you know, this tour or that tour and then some, there was never any way to plan way ahead on, uh, on how we would go about it. So off we went and in, into Calvert. Mm. 
Now, um, I, I can't remember um, whether your mum told me that she used the um, teacher um, program with Calvert whereby you sent your work off or did she do all of your grading and, and exams and I, if boy, I'm going back a long time now. I believe, I believe we started off with, with just her doing it. And, and then at a certain point, we, we got into the scenario where we sent the tests off and, and there was, we each had our own teacher, I believe. Uh, maybe in Calvert, it was the same teacher. Uh, I can't quite remember. But yes, then after a while, we did start sending it off and, and going about it that way. Mm-hmm. So, um, so what was it like? I mean, you, you had a job, right? Because you were sure. part, part of an act, your, your um, brother and your sister and yourself. Were you an actor yourself? You didn't fly with your mom, did you? No, you didn't fly no, with her, I don't we, think. <laughs> no, she, we, no, we didn't fly. <laughs> Only when we got, got on the airplane. No, we did a trampoline act, mm-hmm. and my brother and sister and I, and we started, you know, very young. I started when I was, um, you know, eight, eight, eight or nine years old, maybe eight mm-hmm. years old, and my sister was six years old. So, you know, you know, part of the regular family act, here we are. And uh, it, on... My memory is that we on certain shows where we had a, a, a real it was a real routine and a real schedule that we had a certain time set aside where we would you know do our work and do that and it worked real good. Mm-hmm. However, there were times on other shows where we were traveling you know and it was kind of not the same schedule all the time that that it did get tough. And, and there was, you know, it, it, it was hard to set aside the time with all the traveling and all that type of stuff to, uh, to, to get into any type of routine. So it was, you know, we were real lucky that at one point for about three or four years in a row, we were on the same type of, of, uh, of a, t- a circuit and tour, if you will, where we had, we could have a real routine. So that, that was real good. Then later on, it was, it, it got tougher, especially as we got older. Uh, to to maintain a routine uh, with all the work and travel and everything we had to do and getting older and not wanting to do it. Uh, <laughs> I remember that as well. So what part didn't you want to do, the school or the work? Oh, the school, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you'd have to practice. I mean, you couldn't just say, okay, I've got that act down, that's it, and never, never visit it again, just perform it. You had to probably practice as well, didn't oh, you? Oh, exactly, exactly. We, uh, we were always, you know, uh, practicing, and, and uh, you know, that was my father was the taskmaster of that, mm-hmm. and he covered that end, you know, to make sure we practiced and, you know, try to get better and, uh, you know, at, at, at what we did on the on the trampoline and, and acrobatics and all that type of stuff and then of course the schoolwork fell to my mother and and she was our teacher there and and she was a she was a good teacher she kept it interesting and and I give her a lot of credit for you know not going to school to become a teacher or having any type of teacher experience you know she she especially you know when we were younger she, she was very good and 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 you know kept it going real well Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then, of course, you know, as you become a teenager and, and you know, you, you're wanting to uh, to do other things and have other interests, uh, <laughs> it gets harder. And I yeah, think my so, dad, my so dad you, had that. 
Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and, uh, you weren't the only ones homeschooling on the circuit though, were you? Because, um, all of the performers who had children with them, didn't they homeschool their children or did some of them send them home and they went to school? It was very different. Some, some, uh, didn't, uh, didn't do, uh, didn't do, uh, homeschool because they were able to go home long enough and, and go to re- regular, uh, public school. And then there were some that did. But there was, there was never any situation where we, we did our homeschooling with other kids. We, we did it, you know, amongst my brother and sister and I, but we never joined in, so to speak, in any type of on the road classroom with other okay. kids. No, that, that never happened, no. Okay. And so, um, you've got this childhood that not very many children have, I wouldn't think. You know, you there were animals in the zoo in those days, too, weren't there? Oh, uh, on, on, in those days, yes, uh, that it wasn't, uh, the, the, uh, scenario of, of today. So on, on some of these circuses we were on, there were elephants, lions, right. tigers, bears. Yeah, yeah I, took, I, I took my, um, kids to see as a, a circus here uh-huh. only a few years ago, like four or five years ago. There was not an animal in the ring. Right. Because they, they well, just, they weren't allowed. Yeah, it's it's the whole scenario and our whole society, if you will, has changed quite a bit. So you know, and and I have mixed feelings about that. It, it it's that's a whole another interview, I guess. But yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, most shows don't don't have animals anymore, and and in a way, I understand. In another way, it's like you know, oh, well, that that would have been another an added interest for you as a child. You know, you've got the animals, you want to be a part of your animals. So so what what do you think was the most important thing you learned from, from this from this childhood as far as um homeschooling and working and being with your parents all the time and your family all the time? Well, I I feel very lucky. Oh, what the heck is that? Oh, that's my wife's phone. Hang on a second. <laughs> Uh, sorry about that. All right. <laughs> sorry about that. I feel very fortunate that uh, the way I grew up, that uh, that I had uh, a, a very good um, um, time, obviously growing up. But more important than anything, my parents, both my parents, taught me the, the ways of the world in terms of of the value of money and and to save money and and all that type of stuff and i i will admit though i will admit though but as i got older that 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 i was just barely getting by i wasn't the best student academically you know uh and so that 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 maybe is a scenario that that if I could go back and do it again, uh, I would uh, realize that I could have put a little more into it than I did. I kind of just squeaked by. <laughs> yeah, well, you had other things going on, Omar. Well, well I mean, I'm. Don't we, it up. Yeah, we're going to go on a break now. My guest this week, Omar Abdurrahman, and I are talking about homeschooling memories and his childhood. Education on the road, an aspect that doesn't exactly fit the stereotype. When we return, we're going to be talking about Omar's life as a producer and how his education affected the direction he took with his career, his parents' influence. So don't go far. We'll be back after this. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? 
That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Why do I feel so lousy? Why are my medications working? Why can't my doctor figure me out? These are just a few of the questions Dr. Kevin Connors will be exploring in Dr. Kevin Connors Live every Monday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, 10 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. The author of the book, Help, My Body is Killing Me, Solving the Connections of Autoimmune Disease to Thyroid Problems, Fibromyalgia, Depression, ADD, ADHD, and more. He'll dig into these and many other conditions to dissect the mechanisms of your problems. Giving God the glory and looking for answers to make you look and feel better, to make you feel whole again. For more on him, his book, and the show, check out UpperRoomWellness.com. Never be satisfied with a diagnosis. There is always a reason behind it. And if you can alter the mechanisms that led you down your current path, we can change your future. It's Dr. Kevin Connors, live, Monday nights at 9, 10 Central, here on Togginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. So, Omar... Um, children, there are children on the road today, and they have what one of my previous guests defined as uncommon childhoods, rather like yourself. And they don't actually homeschool in the way that most of my listeners may think of homeschooling, but I don't think they unschool. I don't think they would be allowed to do that. So how much structure is actually involved um, when you have young people on the road or on the film set or in a studio? Well, it, it it is a bit different, and it and it kind of uh, it kind of uh, it, I came full circle because I did a tour with Miley Cyrus and the Jonas Brothers, and Miley and one of the Jonas Brothers were still in in high, of high school age, so. In, in this situation, unlike my mom being the teacher, they had a regular certified teacher from California who mainly, you know, taught on film sets and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So what we did is in every arena we played, we had a room, what would normally be a dressing room. We had it set aside and we had, you know, we turned it into, a, a, you know, kind of a little mini classroom mm-hmm. for the two students and the teacher. And we traveled with, with, the, with a great teacher a gal, uh, Linda Smith was her name, and uh, she was their teacher. And and not only was she their teacher, the way it's structured in California, she also uh, had to look out for their health and welfare. So any type of you know new gags in the show that they wanted to do, like pyro or anything like that, she I had to explain the gags to her, and she was always looking out for the children as their teacher. And uh, and I I just thought it was great. And and I thought it was it was a way that was able to be more structured, and we could do it the same place, the same way in every arena, and and they could set two or three hours aside every day, and and to do their work and stuff. And I thought back on my high school days and thought, wow, if if it would have been more like this, I think I would have been able to 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 buckle down and do a bit better uh, in in my day, uh, you know, if it was like that. So I, I thought that was very good of of the structure that was in place and, and our way of, of helping that a little bit with, with what we the room we set aside and the, we carried the desks and the books and all this type of stuff in road cases instead of lighting equipment or video equipment mm-hmm. 
the school equipment. So I, I thought that was very good, and 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 they and they seem to be pretty good students, and uh, so it seemed to go pretty well. Mm. Um, so you, it sounds as though you like structure. You would have liked to know, okay, at this time, I, every single day, this is what I'll be I, doing. The routine, the, the routine, and, and the doing it in, in the same place and all that 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 makes a big difference. And and like I said, when we were on the road and we on those certain shows, we we had that. And then when we were traveling on certain ones and in flying and in hotels and all that, it, then 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 it was real tough to do. We we yeah. we did it, but it was tough. Yeah. Now, say say if um, a, a kid's parent wanted to travel with them on the road and school them themselves, would they have been allowed to do that? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It uh, it in in the case of like Disney stars and stuff like that, that really it is the the, um, the California law is what governs it. So. Yeah. In the case of California, there ha- and someone from a movie set and a TV show and all this type of stuff, uh, and I'm not an expert on those rules or anything, but there I believe a certified teacher from the state of California has to do it. And then when we're on the road, even though we're across in many different states, they because they're under contract to Disney and all of that, they just the rules they just make them apply over the United States and in Europe and all that. So. Uh, so in that regard, probably a parent couldn't do it. But if they weren't from a from a from a from a movie type of TV background, well, then I don't think it would really come into play. And and someone's parent could could be their teacher. Yes. Yeah. 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 Right. What a great job! I would like to be that teacher. I think traveling, and doing that—that that sounds like fun. Yeah. And she and, and we had a couple of different teachers, but mainly this 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 lady Linda, and they, they were great teachers. They they understood the you know that that they had to you know bend on certain occasions. That you know twenty twenty was there to do an interview with Miley, and it cut into the school time, so they made it up on a, on another area. So you know they, they understood show business as well, and 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 they they were able to be taskmasters and still you know get their time in but at the same time you know allow for the you know the kid's career obviously you know someone's career and the demands of 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 a miley cyrus and and one of the jonas brothers is different than when we were kids on the road we didn't have you know 60 minutes showing up to interview us you know (laughs) shame shame Well, okay. So where did, what happened once you decided to leave the circus? I mean, did you decide to go off? You didn't run away to circus. You ran away from circus. Uh, we ran away <laughs> you know to join these kids always yeah. say, I'm going to go join the circus. Well, yeah. now you're, you're leaving. What? So what did you do afterwards? What? My brother and I, to, when we were on different uh, shows like uh, Ice Capades and Ringling Brothers and stuff like that, to make extra money, we learned how to, uh, besides doing our act, we learned how to be riggers. And what that job is, is you go literally to the top of arenas uh, out on beams and you and you do the rigging, which is, you know, bringing up all the cables and chain hoists and stuff like that. So as we got older, we learned how to do that. And then the... the uh, the family act, if you will, everyone got to be in their early twenties and and stuff like that. And the family act, 
it, not by by no great design. It just kind of dissolved. My brother and I became stagehands in Las Vegas in the stagehands union, and my sister, uh, you know, was nineteen, I think, and she and she got married uh, to 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 a fellow who was who was in show business, and so we we got into the technical theater aspect of it, just be you know for wanting to learn make a few extra bucks while we were still on the road, and so we segued into that. That, and my parents were getting older, so they kind of semi-retired, and uh, that's that's kind of how we segued into it. And then from being stagehands in Las Vegas, you know, we were also, you know, started to go on the road with different concert tours and uh, and industrial shows and stuff like that. Mm. All right, well, being a rigger isn't a very safe job, is it? Well, no, especially uh, especially when I started, there were no safety rules or anything. It was kind of like, well, there's a beam up 150 foot in the air. Get up there and, you know, hang this stuff. Mm-hmm. Now it's come a long way, you know, for the riggers, which uh, which I don't do anymore. I'm kind of, you know, that's a, you've got a, that's kind of a younger man's game. Uh, now there, there's a lot of safety harnesses and a lot of what's called lifelines that you <clears throat> excuse me that you that you clip into, and 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 a lot of good stuff has has come unfortunately out of out of accidents and, and people that uh, that did fall from uh, various heights. So it has come a long way and, and it is a lot safer now so that is a real good a real good sign so so um going on on the you know on the road and doing concerts and tv and film um what other unique things um have you done that you've really enjoyed um as part of your career i mean does something stand out you know like oh gosh best thing or two oh, best God. things or a hundred best things uh well i i was very fortunate and and am very fortunate that i was able to work in in many different fields as as a youngster you know growing up in show business and being a performer was fantastic and then when i became a young adult i was able to to work on stage and be on the crew and do shows with Frank Sinatra and Sammy Davis and Dean Martin. I, I got in on the tail end of that type of stuff. I was very fortunate that I was able to work on, on a lot of films and television shows and stuff like that. Uh, you know, I, I worked on for nine months on the movie Casino and you know various a lot of other films and stuff like that. And then uh, obviously to to be able to go around the world and and be uh, on concert tours. Uh, my whole scenario was I just considered myself so lucky to work in so many different. Uh, uh, venues and, and avenues in show business that uh, that I really just uh, count my blessings. That uh, very fortunate and uh, enjoyed all of them. And now I pretty much concentrate just on concert tours and that type of stuff. But I still do some industrial shows and stuff like that once in a while. But uh, you know, I learned. I was very fortunate. I learned something from my father a long time ago. He said to me, "Hey, this isn't you know a job. This is like a paid vacation." Now, there are some long days and there are some tough days, but in ge- always in general, I still feel that it's, it's almost a paid vacation. <laughs> well, you have a lot of organizing to do, so you must have, I mean, 
when you were a child, when you were young, I know, because I work in the theatre with the kids and that, you know, they've got to be disciplined, they've got to be on time, they've got to know where their props are, they've got to know when their entrances are, they have to know their lines. And, you know, some of them in this particular show that I'm doing, um, they say, oh, I can't be there on such and such day. Well, it throws everybody else off. And Absolutely. I don't think they think about that. They go, well, I've done it. I know it. And I'm going, yes, but everybody around you needs you as well. It's a team thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. And, and, we, and we were very fortunate that, and, that we learned that at a very young age that we had to be on time. We had to, you know, get out of the mud puddle and, you know, go take a shower, at, you know, eight years old and, and get, you know, cleaned up and get ready. And, you know, the show was at, you know, 730 that night and you had to be there. There was no way you couldn't be there. You had to be on time. You had to know your part and all that. So, I really credit my parents with instilling that value of, of the importance of your job that you had to do and how it affected everyone else. And like, like you were just describing, you know, that, that you have to be there. This is it. If this is the, the profession you're in and, and with us, we really didn't have a choice. It was like, this is the profession you're in. Uh, you know, that you had to be there and you had to be on time. And, 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 and if you, and if you weren't, it, it did affect others. So you had to do it. Absolutely. Mm. It's, it's very important. Yeah. Yeah. So, so your jobs kind of went from being a roadie to now you're, you oversee all of these people. You said you had 55 some odd people that traveled with you to Japan. And when you sure. got there, there were, you know, a crew of 44 furthermore. So, you know, you would have been in charge of all of those people as well. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you're a manager too, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, you manage your own time and other people's. You're in charge. So, I mean, no no stress there, but I'm sure the stress um, kind of – well, it's there, right? Oh, Sure, it, it sure it, it's there. I mean, we we we're we're there to uh, obviously to do our job and to do the best we can. I've always applied uh, a, a theory that you know they don't pay us any extra to panic or be in a bad mood or anything like that. So you know, there's always going to be stress, but if we can have a good time while we're doing this and and make the best of it, and uh, you know, and and try to you know have a few laughs, it's going to make all the difference. And I was very fortunate that I. You know, learn that from my parents uh, as well, and it is all part of you know growing up with with you know learning our our, our act and our practicing our act and, and doing our schoolwork that our mom taught us. So it, it all kind of stemmed from that, and it and it's it's made a big difference. It's gone a long way. Fantastic, Omar. Well, that's all we have time for. So thanks ah. so much for taking um, a few moments, thirty minutes, out of your busy schedule to join me today and sharing this interesting snippet of your life with us. And I think you'll agree that homeschooling did absolutely nothing to cramp your style. So you have a great weekend and have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year all just around the corner, Omar. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Same, the same to you. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. And it was great talking to you, Vivian. Well, thank you, Omar. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Girlfriend It is on Togginet. 
Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, with your hosts, Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. This show is your chance to share, learn, laugh, and connect with other women. The girlfriended principal was born out of loss. Lisa had recently had her mother pass away from cancer, and my mom um, was murdered. A man just walking into a room and started a 23-second shooting spree. I think one of the things we both realized going through those tragedies that you can be extremely okay and be extremely sad. Check out girlfriended.com. And then be a part of Girlfriended, the radio show, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. You know, your boyfriend or, or your husband or whatever, they don't totally understand that emotional side to a woman like another woman does. And I think that's so important just to have somebody that you go, she gets me. Check out the website, girlfriended.com. Don't miss Girlfriended with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Omar Abdurrahman as much as I did. I think this style of schooling, away from the traditional model, is one we rarely consider. But there's a whole range of young people who are being educated on the road while they pursue their entertainment careers. Omar is a prime example of this, having been homeschooled with his siblings while he and his family performed in the circus. Organization and time management were two of the skills he learned during his childhood. Remember, he had a full-time job to juggle while maintaining academic standards with Calvert School, the curriculum his parents used. Omar went on to be a successful producer and manager for entertainment acts in all genres, TV, film, concerts, shows, corporate events and world tours, which should further encourage all of you who are listening and wondering about the wisdom of keeping your children home from school to have faith in yourself and encourage your children to love learning, to be independent, to work out their own futures and form strong bonds with their family. Omar, as you heard, has just returned from Japan with Aerosmith, and I wish him and his wife the best of the holidays. We're really close to the end of the year, and the next two shows are going to be taken up with Christmas memories, courtesy of my four lovely children, and tips and advice for starting the way you mean to carry on for the new year. Ian, Simon, Paris and Malia are joining me via Skype for next week's show and we're going to reminisce about favourite traditions from the McNenny Homestead and what they'll take with them into their own family homes. Ali Lepreet, host of This Little Parent Stayed Home and Sandy Fowler, host of Hartfield Holidays, both here on Toginet Radio and my friend Dr Anne Dunnewald will be with me on New Year's Eve Eve and I'll be picking their brains about their top two resolutions or changes for 2012 so that being a multitasking woman is not quite so exhausting, so I know you'll want to listen to those next two shows. And uh, Hubby and I sent out 44 Christmas cards this year and a good, good many letters to go with them. Our list has been greatly reduced over the years, as yours probably has too. We only receive a few back, mostly from elderly family who can't get out of the habit. Even so, we still send to everyone whom we think would benefit from a card or a photograph, regardless of whether or not we get one back. Rather like inviting someone for dinner. We do it to please us, not to get a return invitation. And here is the letter I sent to everyone. 
Dear everyone, <laughs> dear all, this year with Ian fully immersed in TV's Ice Age special, A Mammoth Christmas, scroll down to the end of the credits for his name, and editing dailies for the new series of Dallas, Simon knee-deep in zoo work with his endangered animals, and Paris nurturing and guiding her young charges in Corpus Christi, Mary and I decide to accompany Malia to England for a year while she finishes her education and performance. We're taking a very fashionable gap here as a break from the demands of everyday life in Dallas. According to my journal, so far, we've picnicked in Covent Garden, attended the West End Festival in Trafalgar Square, stayed with family in Canterbury and Salisbury, walked the beach in Broadstairs, supported our 11th century parish church with its awesome choir, discovered yoga online, reconnected with my brother and our nephews, ridden the train, tram, taxis and tube, conquered bus routes, hired cars, imbibed at the Jolly Woodman, eaten fish and chips lots of times, attended a garden party, gone to the 100 Club, used a wheelie basket daily, gathered lavender into bags, received national insurance cards, found Ikea too big, recarpeted our flat, passed our national health screenings, gazed at paintings in the Dulwich Art Gallery, attended Evensong at Westminster Abbey, seen Love Never Dies at the Adelphi, bought furniture, sold furniture, moved with the throng at Petticoat Lane, been overwhelmed at Camden Market, lunched along the locks, witnessed our willow tree fall, hosted Malia's boyfriend, explored King's Road, bid at an auction, browsed the Royal Academy of Art, drunk tea, gallons of it, listened, visited Leoncy, accepted directorship for the block of flats, entertained our nephews during the summer holidays, hung curtains, bustled along Portobello Road, been poured on in Kensington Gardens, scuffed through the leaves, survived the London riots, been dazzled by Kew Gardens, devoured cream teas, opened bank accounts, joined the library, volunteered at the local theatre, seen the Pittman painters, the calendar girls, a woman in mind and female of the species, journeyed to Rome, thrown coins in the Trevi Fountain, reclined on the Spanish steps, gawped at the Colosseum, settled Malia in a college, bought indoor and outdoor plants, surveyed a house in Whitstable, overlooked the Thames estuary, strolled around the medieval Chillum, experienced Jane Austen's North Downs, planted daffodils, taken a tutorial at the Apple Store, welcomed Simon on holiday, toured Dublin, photographed the Guinness Storehouse, chatted on Grafton Street, tasted whiskey at the Jameson Brewery, fed elephants at the Dublin Zoo, marvelled at Stonehenge, lit candles at Salisbury Cathedral, had a meeting at Port Lim, birdwatched at Stodmarsh, pampered Paris for a week, revisited Canterbury, scattered ashes in the North Sea, walked hundreds of miles, posed at Bleak House, cinemaed at the Odeon, snuggled with an electric blanket, read at the Advent Carol Service, rehearsed for Jack and the Beanstalk, blogged regularly, and amidst this quiet time, we've discovered that it's okay to leave a filmmaker and a zookeeper in charge of the family home. We don't want to be in a different time zone from our children for extended periods of time. We enjoy each other's company after all these years, and Skype is invaluable. Above all, we miss you and pray you are blessed by our Saviour during this holiday season and throughout the new year. Whew, that wore me out just reading it. Last week, I mentioned a Christmas carol, a Christmas carol service we accidentally attended at our parish church. There were five readings. Two of them were from the Gospel of Luke, the Annunciation and the Birth Narrative, both which can be found in the Bible, beginning at chapter 1, verse 26, and ending at chapter 2, verse 20. 
One of the other readings by U.A. Fansorp I could not hear because the young man forgot to turn on his microphone at the pulpit, overwhelmed by his elevated position above the throng of 600, no doubt. I managed to look it up on the internet on my return home and thought I'd share it and another of the readings with you. It was called The Wicked Fairy at the Manger by U.A. Fanthorpe. My gift for the child. No wife, kids, home. No money sense. Unemployable. Friends, yes, but the wrong sort. The work shy, women, wimps, petty infringers of the law, persons with notifiable diseases, poll tax collectors, tarts, the bottom rung. His end, I think, will make it public, prolonged, painful. Right, said the baby, that was roughly what we had in mind. U.A. Fanthorpe is a poet, and she would write these verses in her Christmas cards each year. Another one reads thus. What the donkey saw. No room in the inn, of course, and not much in the stable. What with the shepherds, magi, Mary, Joseph, the heavenly host. Not to mention the baby using our manger as a cot. You couldn't have squeezed another cherub in for love or money. Still, in spite of the overcrowding, I did my best to make them feel wanted. I could see the baby and I would be going places together. Mick Gower, a British academic and children's author, is responsible for the following. Christmas thank yous. Dear Auntie, oh, what a nice jumper. I've always adored powder blue and fancy you thinking of orange and pink for the stripes. How clever of you. Dear Uncle, the soap's terrific, so useful and such a kind thought. And how did you guess that I'd just used the last of the soap that last Christmas bought? Dear Gran, many thanks for the hankies. Now I really can't wait for the flu. And the daisies embroidered in red around the M for Michael. How thoughtful of you. Dear Cousin, what socks? And the same sort you wear, so you must be the last word in style. And I'm certain... You're right that the luminous green will make me stand out a mile. Dear sister, I quite understand your concern. It's a risk-sending jam in the post, but I think I've pulled out all the big bits of glass so it won't taste too sharp spread on toast. Dear Grandad, don't fret, I'm delighted, so don't think your gift will offend. I'm not at all hurt that you gave up this year and just sent me a fiver to spend. And finally, John Betjeman, one of Britain's most popular poet laureates, who died on May 19, 1984, at the age of 77, in his home in Cornwall Road, Christmas. The bells of waiting advent ring, the tortoise stove is lit again, and lampwell light across the night has caught the streaks of winter rain in many a stained-glass window of sheen from crimson lake to hooker's green. The holly in the windy hedge and round the manor house, the yew, will soon be stripped to deck the ledge, the altar, font and arch and pew, so that the villagers can say the church looks nice on Christmas Day. Provincial public houses blaze, corporation tram cars clang, <clears throat> on lighted tenements I gaze, where paper decorations hang and bunting in the red town hall says, Merry Christmas to you all. And London shops on Christmas Eve are strung with silver bells and flowers as hurrying clerks the city leave to pigeon-haunted classic towers and marbled clouds go scudding by the many-steepled London sky. And is it true this most tremendous tale of all, seen in a stained-glass window's hue, a baby in an ox's stall, the maker of the stars and sea become a child on earth for me, 
And is it true? For if it is, no loving fingers tying strings around those tissued fripperies, the sweet and silly Christmas things, bath salts and inexpensive scent and hideous ties so kindly meant. No love that in a family dwells, no caroling in frosty air, nor all the steeple-shaking bells can with this tingle truth compare that God was man in Palestine and lives today in bread and wine. So, we had another lovely surprise carol service at our parish church this week, festival of nine lessons and carols. It was called, it was called, and we sang some old favourites, and I particularly enjoyed O Little Town of Bethlehem. And the very last verse of that hymn goes thus, O holy child of Bethlehem, descend for us, we pray, cast out our sin and enter in, be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell, O come to us, abide in us, our Lord, Emmanuel. And with that, I will leave you. I've managed to fill yet another hour with British seasonal poems, letters, a hymn, and a lively chat. And it's time for me to go for another week. Opening night for us tomorrow for six shows in a row, then a break, and then six more. So wish us luck. Malia's with us, so we'll be spending a lot of time in the kitchen producing deliciousness. I'll be here, same time, same place next week. So without further ado, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband who believes in love at first sight, our four children who are the result of that belief. I miss you three in Texas, the hardworking working staff at Toginet Radio, my guest Omar Abderrahman, and you, my faithful listeners, especially Anne and Lindale, Hannah, Tina, Rosemary, Sarah, and many others who are part of my growing audience. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give you peace. Doop, 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 doop. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on Toginat. The Sociable Homeschooler is Vivian's attempt to help dispel the stereotypical homeschool family. She and her husband have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who are willing guinea pigs for her foray into homeschooling, the Wildflower Academy, which flourished for 15 years. Vivian is here to be an encourager to all of you who are thinking of homeschooling. Plus, you'll have some great ideas on homework, vacations, keeping science projects in the house, and being popular versus popularity. So, we'll see you here next Friday for another engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNenny. Friday afternoons at 5, 4 central on toginet.com.